0: Welcome, welcome back to Studio Secrets A to Z, and I'm your host Anthony J Resta, and I'm really excited to introduce our next guest. We have a very long, involved tale to tell. This is Carl Napa, producer, musician, engineer extraordinaire, mixer, just a marvelous dear friend. Welcome, Carl.
1: Ah, uh, thanks, Anthony. It's really, really good to be here.
0: It's crazy, man. We uh, have quite a history, yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna get into it. <laughs> So well, let's start at the beginning. Why not? I mean, for sure. uh, for us, and then we'll go back even further in your life after that. But we, Carl and I, started working together. I think in the in the early '90s. We'll just say right, and we were working at Cortland Recording in Hanson, Mass.
1: Before and, that, we met at a uh, Performance Music Center. Remember?
0: Oh, and that's right. Yep. J- Joe's incredible store.
1: Yeah, Joe Mullins had uh, you teaching there as a drum instructor, and I was teaching there as a guitar instructor.
0: That's where we met. That's where we met. Wow, that's even further back than I remembered. That's crazy. <laughs> So I started inviting you to come, like, uh, assist on some sessions with Bob and I. Is that how it began? Yeah.
1: You you asked me one day, like, aren't you going to U Lowell for engineering? And I said, yeah, yeah, that's where I'm I'm going. And it was in the beginning part of it, so it was like the first couple years over there was all core courses, so I really wasn't doing any recording. And uh, you had mentioned that you were working with Bob down in Cortland, and um, you just needed someone to, like, wrap cables or just, you know, run errands and stuff like that. So you started inviting me down, and I'd come down and sit in the back of the room and wouldn't really say anything and just, you know, kind of, like, observe. Wow. And, you know, it started to get more and more frequent.
0: Yeah. I mean, you had that rare studio gene that when you have it, it's it's just, the, you just have it. It's just, like, you you just want to live it. Yeah. And we we ended up, like, camping out there for months. <laughs>
1: mm, a lot of months. Yeah, yeah me and you. Uh, well, it was funny because, you know, um... Obviously, you and Bob had had a big history, right? Before yep. I was even involved, you know, you guys had done a lot of things together. And I, at the time, you had a different, another partner named Paul yep. Savoni, right? Yep. And you know, I was just this young kid who didn't really know anything, and I wanted to make an impression. And I don't know if you have, if you know this story or not, but there was a supermarket on the way to the studio, yep. and I used to stop by there in the morning, and I'd go to the uh, bakery. And I'd take a bag, you know, it was the honor system kind of, you tell the person what you bought and I'd fill this bag with donuts and Danish and uh, (laughs) it would be falling out of the bag and I'd walk up to the line. I'd look for like the youngest, cutest little um, girl behind the counter and she'd be like, well, what's in the bag? And I'd be like, two donuts. (laughs) And it'd be like, okay, 50 cents. And I'd bring it to the studio and I'd lay it out on a plate and make fresh coffee and I remember you guys walking in like, you bought donuts? I'm like, ah, don't worry about it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I was fucking stealing those donuts every morning. <laughs> and, uh, and I just enjoyed going there. And I, just, you know, I, had, I knew nothing. I remember like Bob saying, go put an 87 on such and such. And I'd run out there and they kept all the mics on that ledge. Remember? Yep. Um, Great mic collection. And I was just like, I don't know what an 87 is. And I'd have to like look through them all. And then I'd probably put the wrong one up, and Bob would yell at me, and uh, and it was just funny, you know. Um, you know, Fred had a beautiful studio, and him and Pat were always so generous to me. Like they let me stay there with you a lot, and then sometimes when you'd go home, I would stay there. Yep, they'd let me use the house in the morning to clean up. I'd try to do it before anybody wake up, and it was just it was a very special time.
0: Yeah, we had the the best time. It was we would go to JJ's pub at, <laughs> every night. And uh, have a few uh, $1 drafts.
1: We definitely had a a system, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. The moment Bob finished and you finished, (laughs) we ran the JJs. Yeah. And then, do you remember where we went after that? Uh, No. Chinese. Oh, that's right. We'd go and get, because they were open until a little bit later, and we'd have a couple of uh, Mai Tais. And I don't even remember where the Chinese place was.
0: Then we'd go back to the studio and jam.
1: Jam all night long. Yeah. I'd play bass and you'd play drums and we'd just... It's yep. like I was learning how to use the th- my thumb back then.
0: And we would write like really weird songs like uh, uh, Talking to the Penguin.
1: Yep. Trashed at the Cape. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Match. I wish we had recordings <laughs> of some of that stuff. But Carl, you just really, you know, had that, that gene and you learned everything um, and ended up taking all that information after working on Extreme Records with Bob. And, and, and tell us how that uh, parlayed into you getting a job at the Hit Factory.
1: So, Bob took me under his wing, and for about two and a half years, I did everything with him. Yeah. The first big thing we did outside of all the stuff you guys were doing and things at Cortland was um, um, Three Sides to Every Story.
0: Legendary legendary album.
1: Down at um, New River Studios. Remember that? Down Mm -hmm. in Fort Lauderdale? And I knew nothing. I mean, I thought I was going down there as Bob's assistant, knew everything, and the assistant down there who was really an engineer jim thomas just schooled me and i realized how far i was really behind wow. you know um i knew a lot but i n- never had a chance to work in a studio like i worked for an engineer who worked for a studio right uh jim worked in a studio and so the downtime you know he learned a lot and also just doing sessions so he he taught me how to do recall he taught me how to You know, I observed him and just watching him run a session as an assistant, you know what I mean? And it really, it it brought my game up, you know, to an exponential level so that when, you know, we'd go after that, you know, I remember when we did the Extreme Four, I think I showed up before Bob at Criteria and I walk in and they were like, well, who the fuck are you? Can I swear in this podcast? Yeah. Oh yeah, you can. And, uh, I'm, I'm Bob's assistant Carl and I want this here, I want this here, we're going to do this and... I had, I had set up Bob's session so many times. Like, I knew what Bob wanted before Bob knew what Bob wanted, right? Yeah. Because I, I knew how he did it, right? Yeah. Um, but I never sat in the chair, yeah. right? When it came time to get the sounds, Bob sat down and, and did his magic. And and it, it is magic. I mean, anybody who's been around Bob, they know yeah. his ears here different than a lot of us. So when I got to New York, and I'll tell you how that happened, but I I had never sat in the chair, and it was terrifying. And so... yeah. I spent a lot of time woodshedding those those first year or so in New York, just getting my chops up as an engineer, so that when it when it when I got called to do sessions, and it was pretty quickly once I got there, um, I was ready. That's amazing. But how I got there is a crazy story. Do you have time for that? Yes,
0: that's why we're here.
1: Um, we did Extreme Four yep. down in Criteria, which was a lot of months. Yeah, and. Um, those records were fun to make because you were there a lot yep. and you know how it was, but for anybody who doesn't, we would just move down to Florida and we'd all stay in the same condo complex and every day we'd drive to the studio together. We'd go to the gym first, then we'd go to the studio and then we'd come back and we'd r- rinse and repeat You know, six days a week. It's right? like Groundhog Day, really. Yep. Um, the first day we get down there, um, we had hired a runner who was going to drive us back and forth and uh, good old Brian, Brian, um, didn't really work out as a driver He was very good driver I mean really good driver (laughs) um but we wanted someone a little more lead-footed yeah so I kind of took over that role and I would get (laughs) us from Fort Lauderdale to Miami pretty quickly in the morning (laughs) surprised we never got a ticket Uh, anyways we did that record then we moved to New York um and we did no, no uh, solo record we that's where Schizophrenic that, started
0: and that's where i was i was worked on that i was co and i don't remember the name of the studio
1: do you um clinton clinton studios that's right they had the two yeah. 8078s, right yeah beautiful studio and we were in studio i believe a downstairs yeah and that was a month or two i yeah. don't remember how long but um at the time i was married and my wife annie was from the the new jersey area yeah and so she would come down there and visit us and she would be afraid to get out of the car, because that's when Hell's Kitchen was kind of rough back then. Yeah. And one night, early on in the record, um, we were walking somewhere, went to a, a club or something to see a band. Yeah. We weren't getting a drink. We weren't just out drinking. We were, we were going to see some music. And I remember we were in the Upper West Side somewhere, and we get to the stop sign or light, and uh, I look over at Nuno, and I go, um, "You know, I, th- I think I'm going to stay in New York when this record's done. He's like, yeah, that's great. Like you know, we got about a week off before we start the next thing, and I, I don't remember what the next thing was. Yeah, so. and he goes, um, "But yeah, why not?" I go, "No, no, no, you're missing my point. Like, I'm gonna stay in New York. What do you mean stay in New York? How how are you gonna get back and forth to work? Like, that's three hours, <laughs> three and a half hours each way." <laughs> I go, "Yeah, you're still missing my point. Like, I'm gonna move. I'm I'm gonna quit Bob and and kind of. I want to go on my own. Like, yeah. I I've been assistant long enough. And he looked at me kind of funny, and and you know, he'd probably speak better on that than me, but I felt like he thought that we're all going to get old and he'd be the producer and Bob would be the engineer and I'd be the assistant would be like the age I am right now. Yeah. Still doing the same roles. And it felt like two or three days where he didn't even talk to me. And like, we used to go to the gym every morning. We used yeah. to work every day. Like, and I was getting like the cold shoulder. And I think, you know, it was hard. Yeah. Um, cause I even had, I hadn't told Bob yet. Right. Yeah. And, um, I walk into into work one morning because I was staying at a different place than him and Bob. They were in like some real fancy yeah. hotel and I was staying on uh, with um, uh, the manager, the uh, day manager. What was his name? Uh, Bernstein. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Remember Scott? Yeah, yeah. And I was staying in Scott's apartment. So I was slumming it on the Upper up West Side and those guys were in like mansions. But anyways, I'm not bitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just an assistant. No, but actually I, I had great accommodations. Um he walked up to me and he goes, um, you have an appointment tomorrow at the Hit Factory at 10 a.m. Our session starts at 11. Don't be late. You go, what? He goes, I called Troy, the owner. You have an appointment to meet with him at 10 o'clock in the morning. Our, our session starts at 11. Don't be late.
0: So he hooked you up with that.
1: And you know what I said? I said, no, man, I don't want that. I want to send my resume out. I want to see if I can get a job. Like, I was just stupid, right? Yeah. And he's like, shut the fuck up. Go to your appointment. And I did. Yeah. And um, when I got there, I had a great interview with Troy. And at one point, like, he's grilling me on things that I knew and didn't know. Do you know the SSL? Do you know the Neve? Do you know this? Do you know that? And because, you know, I'd worked with Bob so long at, at such a high level, like, I knew all that stuff, right? You were ready. And he was like, well, what do you want from me? I'm like, I want a job. And he hired me. And I said, I can't start until I finish this record because it's not cool that if just to jump ship. And he goes, well, when do you finish? I'm like, May, whatever. And he looked at a calendar. That was a Friday. He goes, Monday, you start here. And
0: I did. Wow. And, that's uh, amazing. It was pretty amazing. That's It's crazy. And like, Let's talk about some of the sessions you did at the Hit Factory. I mean, that could take up two podcasts in itself. <laughs> but you were telling my kids tonight you came to our house and we had dinner and the kids are into hip hop. Mm-hmm. They're like who did you work with and he's like carl's like snoop biggie smalls go, nah, you know, i mean there's a lot i mean wu-tang, you, wu-tang i mean that's incredible i mean what, what was what was all that th- those so tell us about that
1: what's interesting is when i got to new york probably around 94 ish somewhere yeah. around there right i had just done three years to three years with bob doing heavy metal yeah like we did hard rock yeah um We might have done a jazz record along the way. You know, I could probably count them on one hand, right? Yep. When I get to New York, all those engineers and assistants, all they wanted to do was rock and roll. And they were doing what was becoming the new pop music, was hip-hop was starting to come to fruition, right? Yep. And I'm like, I don't want to do this shit no more. Like, I just did 10 million records, you know what I mean? Where heavy guitar, right? We get a guitar sound. We do the backgrounds, You know, it was... It wasn't a formula, but it was a way of making records, right? And drums and stuff. And all of a sudden, I got a chance to do set up a drum machine and a keyboard and use an, you know, an SPX-80 and sync everything up through MIDI time code. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing, but I wanted to do that. Yeah. And I jumped in head first and I took everything that we came my way. And at that time, Puffy was just starting Bad Boy Records.
0: I remember being there... Working on Nuno's record and seeing his name like on everything, on everything. But it, he was he was Puffy Combs. Yep,
1: he wasn't Sean even... Puffy Combs. Yeah, because that was that was before there was uh, uh, even an office, you know. And there was at least three or four studios every night, and we worked with on everything there. Um, and through that I met a guy named Vincent Herbert, and his engineer was Ben Garrison, and they took me under their wing, and I assisted them a lot. To the point where Ben was so busy, Vincent looked at me one day and was like, hey, can you engineer this session? And I was like, yeah, of course I can. And the next day I got a call from um, the uh, hit factory, the, uh, the daughter, Danielle, was she booked all the studios. And she was like, well, we want to manage you. If you're going to do this thing, we're going to manage you. I'm like, cool. I don't even know what that means. but." <laughs> um, and then literally i just started engineering i went from you know making seven dollars and fifty cents as an assistant engineer yeah to 75 dollars as an engineer yeah like overnight and i thought i was i thought I was rich yeah you know what i mean what a great i could afford dinner now and i could like pay rent on time (laughs) but um that started the next chapter of my life of 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 you know heavy duty engineering sessions and in those days Pre Pro Tools, way before Pro Tools, still had analog desks and machines, and you had to go to a recording studio. Yeah, and we got a chance to. We, I shouldn't say we got a chance. I got a chance to work on unit you know, like a who's who of of superstars, right? Yeah, because the Hit Factory was that place that was super expensive and prestigious. Yeah, and a lot of it was we finished people's records, like when if something was wrong, they'd come there or. Uh, if a record got rejected, they'd have to do two more songs, they would come to the Hit Factory and finish it, right? Because it was in New York, they could watch their clients. And so a lot of that early records never got any credit for it. I probably have more credits that I don't have on people's records than most people have on records, right? Yeah. Because the the records were done, the artwork was in, they were just filling out two more songs. And you know, I, I don't know how many times I heard, oh, we'll, we'll get you on the reprint, don't worry about it. Oh yeah, great. yeah. Because you'd go to the store back then and buy the record because you were so excited to see your name and that you you know participated, and it wouldn't be there.
0: Yeah, that's hard. That's hard. Yeah. That's happened to me multiple times too. Yeah, and it's,
1: it, it stings a little, but but yeah. after a while we are like whatever. It happens.
0: Um, it happens. My, Peter Wolf told me that um, the artwork got cut off at the bottom. <laughs> that was my favorite excuse. <laughs> uh, fun stuff. Yeah. So those sessions were. I mean. I remember working on stuff there while you were working on other stuff, and I remember like Michael Jackson bought lunch for everybody in the building for like over a year. Tell yeah, us about that.
1: Yeah, not on purpose, but yeah. um, <laughs> when I get down there, they were they had just started the history record. Yeah. And Michael took Studio uh, uh, 4 and 5 in the new building. There was two buildings, right? Yeah, yeah. There was one between 8th and Broadway and one between uh, 9th and 10th. Yeah, the, the shiny,
0: fancy one yep. and the old one. Which and the I'm, old one. I, yeah, the, 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 that was the biggest SSL I've ever seen, the big U-shape.
1: Yep. Yeah, the wraparound one. Yeah. And so he was in that room and the room next to it. And they were running 24 hours a day over there. And then as more and more people got involved in that session, they would take more and more studios. Then they took Studio 2 and then Studio Studio 1. And then they came down the street and took Studio D on the third floor.
0: I think we and, worked there with Nuno.
1: Uh, you worked there with Nuno. No, you worked in Studio C with Nuno. Okay. That's where you guys the, did some mixing. That was the V. The, the me, VR. The VR Neve. You worked in that room with Blondie. You guys oh, that's did, right. Uh, Blondie yeah. in Studio there was that big, long SSL. Oh, That was a
0: beautiful room, too. And
1: that was uh, Teddy Riley. They brought Teddy Riley into work. And yeah. I was put on that session, and I worked the night shift because I was yeah. I had less seniority. Yeah. And so I worked nine at night to nine in the morning every day. And did you ever run Three into months. Michael? Of course you must yeah, have. a few times. What was that like? It was incredible. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, you know, very humble person, always polite, very nice. I remember one time I'm trying to like not, you know, you're an assistant. I was just, those are, those are my assistant days, right? Before I started engineering. You know, your job is to be kind of seen, not heard, And um, Michael was like listening to a playback of something and he started dancing. And, you know, me and you right now, we're less than eight feet away from each other, right? And these these guitars right in front of me, maybe four feet. That's how close he was to me. And he did every single move that you can imagine Michael Jackson doing. And finally, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to (laughs) watch. Like, how could you not, right? And, you know, the budget was just endless, Right, and you know, people would come into at least Teddy's session and just order food.
0: I remember, like it was like it was it was like kind of open open menu season. It was
1: bananas. Like at one point, we spent ten grand, I think, something ridiculous on a a monthly. It was all cash, and uh, Eddie, the owner, came to us and was like, "This is this too much cash in the building. I'm giving you guys each a credit card, and at the end of the month, if the receipts don't equal out, you guys comes out of your pay." Wow. So I became an accountant very quickly. <laughs> but look, it was it was great. I mean, it was a very, as a camaraderie back then. And um, all those people that had come in from California to work on that and all of us assistants that were on it, it was, it was like a crazy. family.
0: It was like a family.
1: It I, was a lot of work. The hours but, but that you guys kept. Those hours. I mean, I, I did 12 hours every day for three months straight with yep. no days off. Yeah. You know, life did not go on. Yeah. I don't care about holidays. It wasn't about birthdays. It wasn't about anything. You worked. You know, even after that, when 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 we were doing like regular sessions, I carried a backpack to work, and my backpack had a change of clothes, toiletries, and an umbrella. Yeah, because I never knew where I'd be sleeping that night, and if I sat to stay at the studio because I had to be back too early, I would just sleep on the couch with a packing blanket and and go down into the gym in the morning, shower, and and do it again. Wow. Or, that, yeah. Nights too, yeah. Mostly, well, you'd start at ten, you yeah. know. Down first downbeat was always nine or ten, right? Yeah. And then typically, if you were doing like a tracking date, you know, you might finish around six or seven. And a lot of those weren't lockouts; those were just kind of like the morning session, right? Yeah. And then it would change over, and if they didn't have someone, they would ask you if you'd stay. Yeah. I just never said no. And yeah, that,
0: I'll stay. That's why you got all all that work because you yeah. never. I'll stay. Sure.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: You were uh, always like that from day one. From, you know.
1: I, I, I like to work. You yeah. know what I mean? I have no problem. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting a little older, Yeah. and I'm noticing that. I, I don't say I'm slowing down.
0: No, but it's different. I, I get it.
1: But, um, you know, the other day I was like kind of like bumming out, like, man, I can only do the six-hour session and I'm starting to get tired. And then I realized I had just come from eight hours at the university, Webster University, where I teach and run the, the audio pro- program. Yeah. I just done eight hours there, and I did sex at night, and then well, I'm like, oh, shit, no, it's, this isn't six hours. This is 14. six on top of the eight, yeah. I guess so I can still pull a couple hours.
2: Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And, yes, she loves them.
1: Well, back in those, in the New York days, I taught myself how to sleep anywhere. I would duck into the machine room and take a power nap yeah. for five, 10 minutes. And you'd be amazed what a, what a power nap
0: can oh, do. Oh, yeah. It, it saves me. I kind of, yeah. it, it helps you reset your focus too. And
1: yeah. you also have to learn about your body. Yeah. Like how, how your body reacts to caffeine, how your body reacts to yeah. nicotine, how your body yeah. reacts to water. It's yeah. sort a of juice.
0: I, I've had to slow down on the caffeine because yeah. I, I was, you know, espresso it just became a little bit too too much.
1: Well, I noticed my body would spike and then it would drop really hard. Yeah. So if I'm doing like a really long one or two day binge... Yeah. When I say binge, it's not with cocaine. It's with studio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I I stop the caffeine at some point and it's just water and fruit or juice. Yeah, and um, it helps you keep going. Um, When I did all those years with Nelly, we would do sometimes the most we ever did was we went into a third day. So straight, you know, two days straight was, was a lot. We, that, that was, that was such an occurrence that I don't, I can't even count how many times we did it.
0: And that was like a, like a, his whole crew. He had quite a crew. Tell us about your association with Nelly and how that turned into like a really
1: major thing in your life. Oh yeah. So it was a certain point in hit factor. I kind of went on independent, right. On my own. And as a, um, at then, it was just an in, uh, independent engineer, right? Yeah. Mixer. And I was very fortunate throughout my whole career that there would be certain people would would like lock on to me. At one point, there was a guy at Warner Brothers. I did a couple of years with him doing all his records. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, I met a guy named Kevin Law out of Universal Records. And I just met him just in the hit factory, just in the yep. hallway. We had a lot in common. We just shoot the shit. And one day... He uh he asked me to do something, um, and I couldn't do it. It was um it was uh, what 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 became Nellyville. He asked me if I wanted to go and you know make that record with them down in Florida, and I said uh, I can't. He's like, well, why? I go, well, I just signed uh, a thing with Nuno to do uh, what became uh, Population One. I was going to California to make that record with him. He was like, well. Blow him off. He's he's nobody. Like, come come work with him. This is Nelly. You know, Nelly was riding high off of Country Grammy, like the biggest superstar in the world, right? Yeah. Or becoming one of them. And I'm like, dude, what would what would you say if the shoe was on the other foot? You know, what if I was blowing you off for something bigger than you? He's like, I might be pissed. I'm like, well, this is how I act. And so I went and did that record with Nuno, and I came back, and um, Kevin had this record uh, this pop girl from uh, London named Sona Royale, I believe. Hmm. And he wanted me to do it because it was a combination of live music and program music. And I was, I'm very good at both m- both, both those worlds, worlds. Right. Yeah. And the integration of them, how to sync machines up and how to, you yeah. know, manipulate and edit. And I, at that point I became very versed in pro tools. Yeah. Um, I had seen the writing on the wall very early on and jumped I jumped on the ship so hard that I was getting hired as just a Pro Tools operator for a long time. You know, I shouldn't say a long time, but a good time in New yeah, York. Yeah. And so Kevin hired me for that record. And then he asked me if I want to do this record for a guy named Murphy Lee, which was one of the lunatics. Okay. And we went to Atlanta and recorded. Fun fact is the last day of recording, we down down there for two weeks, did all the vocals for the record. And like you said, back then they all traveled together. Yeah. All the lunatics went. So it was like five lunatics. Each lunatic had an assistant. Each lunatic had, like, a bodyguard. Each lunatic had a bunch of friends. And we were working at Stankonia down there. I don't know if you ever worked in Oh, I worked there. And it's a huge control room. Yeah. And it's people everywhere. The live room, they're doing tattoos and who's doing what. And I had everybody just in the booth doing vocals. So it was just a shenanigans. And I really enjoyed this crew. Like, everybody was really down to earth and really cool. And on the last day, Kevin was sick, the A&R guy. And he's like, I'm going back to the hotel. Because he knew we were going to be there all night. Yeah. And he goes... I'll swoop back in the morning, grab you, and then we'll go to the airport. We had like an early flight. Yeah, "Yeah, no problem. And as he's leaving, he goes, no CDs. I go, what? He goes, yeah, no one gets a CD. Okay, cool, no worries. At the end of the morning, shift. I'm cleaning up, I'm backing up my hard drives. And out of the corner of my eye, Nelly's walking towards me with Murphy Lee and Ali. And they're all, you know, Ali was the president of Dirty and a lunatic. And Nelly is obviously Nelly and Murphy Lee is the artist. And Nelly looks at me and goes, I need a CD. Murph needs a CD. Ali needs a CD. And I look up and I go, I'm sorry, no CDs. <laughs> and Anthony, you could hear a pin drop. It was like the record scratches. Yeah, <laughs> People were getting up, grabbing their shit and being like, oh, this dude's dead. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Before Kevin left, he said, no CDs. And they were like, I'm fucking Nelly. This is Murphy Lee, the artist. And he's the president of the record company. We want CDs, I'm saying universal said no cds i can't give you cds <laughs> i just met everybody well i'd met him before but like yeah. this is the first time we really worked together yeah and company nelly was
0: company man <laughs> pissed
1: grabs his phone calls kevin and i can hear him under the line yeah yeah, yeah. he pans me the phone and kevin's like yeah they can have cds i'm like you motherfucker um but fast forward when i'm working with nelly full-time you know hard, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. And an artist who we're doing a feature with would turn to him and be like, hey, can I get a CD? For anybody who doesn't know, a CD is like this round thing you put yeah. in this machine and it <laughs> plays music. It's not on your phone. <clears throat> um, and he would, he, he would, without a beat, without dropping a beat, he'd be like, yeah, of course you can have a CD. Go ask Carl. Because he knew the first thing I'm going to say is, I'm sorry, No CDs. Like I didn't bother me. Like yeah. I, I would I would tow the company line and he didn't have to look like the bad guy. Yeah. But he also knew deep down inside that I would never bootleg anything, that I would never leak anything, that I would never um yeah, you know, play shit for other people. Right. Well,
0: that that kind of trust is is uh important and that's probably one of the loyalty is the factor that probably kept you around him for Oh my god. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like think about when when, you know, unfortunately when Prince passed away, we talked about his vault, his vault, his vault. You know. There are a few copies of Nelly's Vault out there, you know, locked away in certain safes and stuff, and I had access to one of those for a very long time, yeah. and it was never a leak on my watch, yeah. ever. Yeah. Wow. Um, Which is pretty impressive, right?
0: It's hard, because, I mean, you know, so many of these things started happening, you know, where they, these albums would just show up, like, on Napster or whatever, like, you know, you know, and then they had the dat in the hat, you know, with all the live things and like, and then movies like started getting bootlegged the same way in China and like the, they're they're out before they're in the theaters. You know, that's really
1: a tough. area. I remember. Yeah, I remember back in the day when they'd have the camera in the the, the theater showing the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you asked me how I get to Nelly, and I kind of blew yeah. that. Okay, that answer. Let's rewind a little bit. Um, did that record? Yeah. Then they came back and they did a remix record of all his hits. We did that at the Hit Factory. Um, We set up two studios. One, the regular studio where this guy was mixing all the records, this guy named Rich Yep. And during the night, I'd be tracking the remixes of all his pop songs, right? And I set up my Pro Tools rig in the live room and used the booth with a couple of cables going into it for vocals, right? And so we had this little factory going day and night. Did that. And then I got a phone call. So it was going into Christmas time, and uh, hey, you want to come to LA with us to to make what is going to become the next Nelly record? I'm like, of course I want to come. And we moved out there, and we kicked around for a while. Um, we went to almost every studio to find out which one he wanted to work at, right? The Village. Name his studio. We went there. Sunset Sound. I mean, Sunset Marquee, like everywhere. We went to like producers' houses, and he could not catch a vibe. And all the while we were working at the village, like doing the song, just getting, keep Started. starting, right. Um, I had him singing on. Remember uh, the Lawson, the gold Lawson L forty, was it L forty seven or something? Yeah. Do you remember that mic we had for a long time? Yeah. Uh, so I was using that out there, and um, he sounded great on that. By the way, um, that Lawson, the gold one. Yeah, yeah. That was the one I I, uh, I traded Nuno for something for that.
0: He used to make those next door to East Iris, the yeah. studios yeah. in Nashville. Like he was like next door making those.
1: That was a that was a beautiful mic. Uh, I got it from Nuno on a trade, and I ended up the the capsule died on me years later. I had okay. to get a new capsule, and then I ended up selling it or trading it for something. And to this day, I, I'm I didn't, I wasn't using it, but yeah. I regret getting. You know, you know how it is. Like yeah. I'm looking around here, like you don't get rid of anything like I yeah. do. And yeah. the things I do get rid of, I miss the most.
0: Yeah, that's that's happened to me. Like there's been over the years stuff I've regretted. Putting, yeah, but. You know. But
1: we couldn't find a studio. Yeah. And so in LA you could yeah. that that vibed with him. Yeah, wow. He was looking for something very special cuz there was going to be a lot of writing. Yeah. There wasn't the record wasn't completely written. And uh before I went out there I kind of figured something was going to go on. So I did a quick little um a budget on what would it cost to to build a studio. Meaning not build a studio but buy the equipment, speakers, microphone, pre, pro tools, computer. It was like 40 or 50 grand. And while we're talking, I said, you know, why don't we just get a house, you know? And they're like, what do you mean? We can't do this in a house. I go, well, honestly, all the stuff I've been doing lately, I've been doing in houses. I've been doing in bars and I have barns and I've been doing it in office buildings. And I bring my Pro Tools rig in and set up and, you know, lay the cables down and record. And you can't tell, you know, because I know what it's supposed to sound like in the big room, so I can go to a, a little house and make it sound great. And they're like, are you sure? And I said, oh, "No." by the way, this is the price. And I said, when we're done, I can bring it to your house in Missouri and set it up, and you'll have a studio in your house. And that was the, the plan. That was the plan. And then we went from looking at studios to houses. So think of two black SUVs pulling up in front of a mansion yeah. in Bel Air or Beverly <laughs> Hills or the, the Hills. Yeah. Um, and all these people jump out and you know, to look at this house, 14, 15, $20 million homes. And we settled on one right up from the Whiskey Go-Go. And it was like a master suite. So his bedroom was over here. There was a sitting room and a closet. We put all of Nelly's clothes in the closet, put the mic right in the middle, um, set up the sitting room. This was before you could buy like acoustic panels. You would know, you get some foam. I went to Home Depot, bought some packing blankets, yep. stapled them to the wall with a ni- with nails. She yep. would say staple. We didn't get our deposit back. And then bought some curtains and put it over. Like, it looked really nice, but it was taking first reflections away. Yeah. Um, and we made what became Sweat and & Suit. And if anybody doesn't know, Sweat & Suit was released as, it wasn't a dual album. It was two single albums released on the same day. And we went number one and number two in Billboard. Wow. Uh, second time in history. First time in history was Guns N' Roses, Usual Illusion 1 and 2. So that was a huge feat. And it was recorded in a house.
0: Wow, that was the uh, features
1: big... were recorded at the record plant. So, like, if Snoop was recording, would go down the record plant. Tim McGraw was recording, went down the record plant. Christina Aguilera went down the record plant. He he felt too, but imbe- like he was like, I don't want people coming to my house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was an incredible three four month experience. I had so many frequent flyers miles that that record was unbelievable.
0: So you're going back and forth from. Well,
1: for, for the first three months, we worked three months straight, two days off. Yeah. And I'm in L.A. Um, I knew some people out here. I didn't even have time to go see. I like literally had two days off in three months. Wow. We worked every single day.
0: Wow. Um, I'm going to go back and listen to that record
1: now. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And it was mixed in New York.
0: Yeah. At the Factory? No,
1: that was mixed at Platinum, Platinum Island. Okay. Uh, Rich and Kevin were there mixing while we were finishing up the tracking. We we, we finished New York, uh, L.A., came back and forth a whole bunch of times. And then I went to um, Missouri and started going to his houses. First, we set up a house in his big house in Eureka, set up a studio there. And I don't know this about Missouri at the time, but there's a certain part of the year in in the country where the frogs are very loud. Oh, wow. And we could not record. That's how loud they were. You know what I mean. So how how many
0: months or what, what's the frog season? What does it run from what to what? <laughs>
1: um, you know I don't know because yeah. I bailed on that house pretty quickly and we moved to his lake house. Oh nice! In Lake St. Louis, and they had they were building something already down there. This guy named Joe Zimmerman who does all the construction. Yeah, and we instantly moved in there, and I pulled him aside and was like, you know um I'm tired of living in hotels can I just stay at this house cuz he didn't live in this house this was like yeah there was the cribs house oh wow he did an episode for cribs and the next day there was a you know people walking up to the house and bringing their boats up to there and it was just, he couldn't live there and so I moved he moved me into one of the rooms upstairs and um we finished that album there we finished the longest yard there we finished a murphy lee uh, well, we started a Murphy Lee solo record that like a lot, a lot of records were done in that studio. And then we did, uh, we moved to the corporate offices. We built proper studios in there and then did so, so much more there.
0: Wow, it's just an incredible amount of work. I mean, it's just mind boggling. You know, we, I feel like we're just kind of scratching the surface here. We're going to do a double episode. So it's it's been great to have you this and we'll do another episode. We'll uh, get you one next week too.
1: Yeah, I'd love to come back.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah. I love you, man. I appreciate it. You too. Anthony J. Resta, Studio Secrets, A to Z, signing off. Thanks, Carl.
1: Thank you, Anthony.